Hello and welcome to another episode of the Silk and Steel podcast. I'm your host, Carl Zha. Today we have a very special guest uh, all the way from Russia. Um, Timo, welcome to our show. Uh, thanks. Happy to be here. Uh, which I, I was going to uh, introduce you, then I, I realized I don't even know which part of Russia. I, I know it's somewhere close on the border with Finland, but... That's right, that's right. <laughs> yeah, uh, c- uh, can I just say uh, from the Karelia region? I don't know how much yeah. info you want to give out. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm in Karelia now. It's, it's my motherland. I've been here for almost two years, and I've been here mo- almost two years, and it's mostly due to COVID the last year because I was supposed to be here for a while and then leave, and now I cannot leave. I mean, except for Finland, I cannot go anywhere else, and I'm not. I have to be here with my dad, basically. We are in the same boat, uh, except I chose to be in Bali. Um, you know, I, I don't plan to go anywhere <laughs> now that I have a baby. You know, yeah. oh probably... yeah, congrats by the way. Thank you, yeah, thank you. <laughs> cool. And uh, we are also waiting for vaccination, but um, mm. I don't think there's enough vaccines to go around right now in Indonesia. So we don't know when that's going to happen. Yeah. Actually, my my father in law just um, went ahead and got his first dose. Uh, so so at least somebody I know are getting the vaccine. So that's good. Um, but today we, I brought you on the show to talk about two specific areas because um, I know you from Twitter and I, I, I immediately recognize you offer a very unique perspective because, um, you know, you are, as you mentioned, you are born in former Soviet Union, um, you know, now Russia, and then you come uh, you've been to both. You have you have lived in Hong Kong, and you also have been to Xinjiang, and you have many local connections. Uh, the reason I wanted to talk to you is because uh, normally we hear uh, we usually hear a user from uh, Chinese the, the you know the Chinese from from Chinese mainland or uh, Western expats um, who had lived in China. Well, at least. That's those are the crowds I have been inviting on my show. <laughs> so, so like, I've noticed. Yeah, I, I was surprised when you invited me, but then I thought maybe maybe you want the perspective of like, uh, what you said to me, you told me that it's about the ethnic minority from Russia, that kind of thing. It was just, it's different from a Russian from Russia. That's true. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, first of all, you, you know, just coming from Russia, it's or, already that's a different perspective. <laughs> The for yeah, okay. say, then say somebody from US, UK, or Australia, but uh, yeah, you as a, as a ethnic uh, minority, uh, so w- w- is that um, called Karelian? Is that correct? Yeah, something like that. I'm not sure how it's called in English. Well, I know how it's called in our language and in Finnish and, and Karelian, maybe. Yeah. Um, I, you know, like, I only thing I know about Karelia is that uh, it's very closely related to uh, Finland and, and uh, Karelians and, and Finnish are kind of, uh, what would you say, like cousin? cousin yeah, uh, yeah, it's like yeah. a cousin, yeah. But the Karelians are the, east, uh, so to speak, eastern cousins of Finns and um, our history places us more into Russian civilization. 
that is for the eastern Karelians. For the western ones, they're like assimilated in Finland now. After they moved after the World War, like a winter war, World War Two, they call it continuation war. A lot of people moved to Finland. But we are like we we were in Russian history for more than eight hundred, less than eight hundred years, somewhere there, because the Novgorod made us vassals eight hundred years ago. So Eastern Karelia actually was part of Russia before, like Peter the Great and all that. The, the Karelia, the entire, the entire Karelia. Sorry for the gap. It's a, I'm, I'm also a first time on a podcast of any kind, so I might I apologize in advance you know, to interrupt you. But yeah, we we were in 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 Russian civilization, so to speak, for longer than now, for longer than 800 years. The Karelian ethnic identity and language is still very much alive. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, young people switch to Russian language. Mm. Uh, it's it's happening yeah. since the 1970s, especially since the late Soviet Union. There was a, I would say, it was an assimilation policy. Like uh, education, mostly in Russian. Is this because uh, proliferation of television? Yes, also that and the cultural influence, and but the policies as well. You know, the early Soviet policies was the early Soviet policy resulted in us having almost like a separate country, the Finnish Karelian SSR. Then it was dismantled, made into like a autonomous SSR, and after that, I, I'm afraid I would call the Russification what was happening since the 1970s. That that is basically I, I put a blame on that, but mostly late Soviet. So basically, uh, Karelia used to be. I mean, in the feudal times, it it's um, even even though it's <clears throat> part of the Russian Empire, it still maintained sort of uh, autonomy. Yeah. right. That's what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I invited you <laughs> because I <laughs> thought you know coming from your background you would have a very unique perspective especially you you mentioned you have traveled to Xinjiang and had many local friends and then you also lived in Hong Kong how did that how did that happen how did it end up how did you end up in Hong Kong um I, I always wanted to come to Hong Kong at least a brief period because I'm I'm growing up in the 90s in Russia yeah I'm born in 1982 so that's I'm, I'm I'm growing up in the '90s in Russia, and I was interested in Hong Kong movies very much. I mean, I tweeted a lot about that, uh, as you know, and uh, always wanted to come to Hong Kong, but I couldn't even dream about coming to Hong Kong to be honest, during the 1990s. But it's like it, it was a very distant the destination was un, out of reach. Then it's it's because I moved to Finland in middle middle that's 2007 or 2000. Well, 2006, but 2007 when I moved permanently to Finland. Now I don't live there, but I've lived there for 10 years. And in Finland, I went to study in 2015. And then and I was able to go on a kind of a student exchange, but not for university, but for like a, I did like an internship. In. So you actually uh, about same age as me. I'm a little bit older. I, I, I was born. Yeah, in somewhat. 19, yeah, I was born in 1976. Um, so I can understand your yearning for Hong Kong because <laughs> growing up in uh, growing up in 1980s China, that's when uh, you know ch you know China first started to uh, yeah. open up and uh, open yeah, yeah. and reform period, and that's when all the Hong Kong movies and TV series suddenly exactly. start to make their appearance in mainland China. And for us, little as little kids in 1980s, Hong Kong is just like a 
magical wonderland. <laughs> it's insane. Same. I mean, my, yeah. like a lot of the heroes from the movies I had were Hong Kong movies, you know, it include cops and gangsters and the Kung Fu and all of that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, growing <laughs> up in the 80s, like the most popular TV series back then were ah, Hong yeah. Kong produced martial arts. Uh, well, you're lucky because, you, yeah, you, you're lucky because you could see the TV series. We, could, we couldn't get that. We, we would have movies on VHS and it would be like dubbed or it would be voiceover translated. On VHS, I'm, I'm thinking my younger audience probably don't even know what a VHS is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so, man, that's, um, I grew yeah, up so, in, with the VCR is my best friend. You know, I just watch all these. It's, it's included also Japanese and Hollywood and the European movies, but Hong Kong was this thing that I got obsessed with because of the movies. Yeah, it's it, the 1980s because I'm from the 1980s. I was I was interested in these 80s movies with the skyscrapers and all that, and it, it had a lot of charm back in the day. Uh huh. And and also 1980s was kind of the golden era of Hong Kong film industry. Exactly. Um, it, it, that's like the best Hong Kong movies were produced in the 80s and maybe early <laughs> 90s. Um, it, like it, it since it has yeah. since gone downhill because. Uh, partly because sure. you know a lot of the Hong Kong talent, you know, now they go to mainland China where where there's more yeah. money. The and, best director is yeah. still directing China now. Yeah. Yep. And and so maybe we can let's let's uh before we talk about Xinjiang, let's maybe let's talk about Hong Kong a little bit. Uh because I got to okay. know you initially on Twitter through uh like the Hong Kong protest uh and and then you know yeah. I saw your post on Hong Kong protests, and you talk about your times in Hong Kong and working with the, um, I believe like the the domestic help from Southeast Asia, um, yeah, and like yeah. you talk about a lot of things, you like you really flesh out the context. So let's talk about. So how did you end up in Hong? Like how did you finally uh, got to Hong Kong, and what were you doing there? But I, I, yeah, I started traveling to Hong Kong before I, I went there for, uh, for a short residence, right? I've, I've been just traveling to Hong Kong a lot since we didn't have a Russian citizen and I'm a Russian citizen. So we didn't have a, I think it's 2009 or 2011, we didn't have a visa anymore, the requirement for a visa. We, we could travel for two weeks, which is uh, just, just as a visitor. It's not three months like for Americans. I think it's three months for Americans. Mm -hmm. For me, it's two weeks. But I would make a lot of these yeah. two weeks trips between 2013 and 2015. I'd make a lot of these trips. So that was the first time. And I started, I started making friends through couch surfing first. So for my American audience who, who does not, uh, maybe not familiar with Hong Kong, Hong Kong is actually governed as its own kind of separate territory, even though it returned to China uh, after 1997, like to, for, for a mainland Chinese person, a PRC citizen from mainland China to go to Hong Kong, they still need to apply for permits. Uh, That's there's right. still a border. Yeah, there's still a border between Hong Kong and Shenzhen, uh, you know, the next Chinese city over. And for, yes, so, so in the 1980s, uh, you know, that's why, you know, when I was little kids, we dream about traveling to Hong Kong one day. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, it was a different time. It was a different China, different Hong Kong. Different China, different Hong Kong. Back back in 1980s, Hong Kong's GDP is like 25% of 
you know, China yeah. over all GDP, something crazy like that. Now, now, now it's like, I think I thought the statistic is like, yeah, one, one percent. One point five percent. Yeah, like China has grown like a trip, you know, leaps and bounds in the last 40 years. And, sure. and I think that's, that's why I think a lot of people find it hard to make the, make the adjustment, including some, some people in Hong Kong. And I think that's also one of the underlying uh, reason for the protest. Uh, but let, let's talk about, let's shift the focus back on you, <laughs> about your no experience. So, so you went to, so you, 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 you traveled to Hong Kong before. Um, yeah. And then uh, how did you, how did you get a gig to stay there? Like, I, I understand you like lived there for a while, right? So, uh, yeah, I went to study in Finland, in Helsinki for social work. And uh, they typically offer uh, exchanges, but not only between universities, but you can do like an entire internship, including an entire year of internship in another country. One of the options was Hong Kong, and I took Hong Kong right away for my uh, last year of studies. Eventually, I even spent like a longer time than usual students because I wanted to spend longer time in Hong Kong, do my thesis in Hong Kong. And that's what I did. I did a bachelor's degree thesis in Hong Kong. So that it took me... Um, an academic year plus a few more months on a separate visa to be to be like a research assistant. That's how it, ha it happened through university in Helsinki. That's a capital city in Finland. If if, if people don't know so that, was it was it easy? Um, oh, thank you for pointing that out. You know, I, I we yeah. <laughs> you know for for, <laughs> for my American audience, you just just assume <laughs> more information is always better. Okay. <laughs> so. So Helsinki is the capital in Finland, and I've lived there for ten years, and I've went I went to study for social work in, in English, like an English language class. I mean, I speak Finnish, but not not perfectly. Was it easy to travel? I mean, to 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 um, apply for the visa and 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 like a yeah. study visa, I guess. In, in Hong yeah, the, Kong. sure. The, the, it's not a study visa. I had a training visa. It's a little mm -hmm. bit different from studies. It's it's like an employment, but you're not allowed to get paid. So the university pays you a grant. I've got a couple of grants from the European Union, and so that's how I that's how I got into Hong Kong. I couldn't work there, but I was I, literally I was doing a job for for free, as many internships are, you know. Ah uh, yes, <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, yes the, the unpaid internships. Oh, yep. what, so what did you do exactly? Um, I went to the organization, and well, now I mentioned they didn't pay me, so I don't. I want to give them face somehow. Like um, they just can't. They cannot. They cannot pay. They, they're 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 not rich organization, but uh, it's an NGO that is backed by the um, man who who is the main patron. I think it's Anglican Church that is uh, patronizing this this small NGO because mm -hmm. their headquarters are in St John's Cathedral. That's the oldest cathedral in Hong Kong. Uh, they are not religious organization, but they originally started from some sort of religious background. Because a lot of Filipinos are religious, and uh, not only Catholic but also Protestant and stuff like that. So um, it started, I think, as a Filipino or a mission for Filipino migrants. That's I think how it was called, and then they called and then they renamed it Mission for Migrant Workers. So like all the migrants, Indonesians, Indian, whoever. But it's it's it's, um, it's focused on the female. How how do, 
the the real good term for it is migrant workers, but they call them um, domestic help. Domestic uh, helpers, yes. Yeah, I would call them domestic uh, workers, but because you know, helper is condescending and and, and doesn't sound right. But they call them yeah, even legislation actually, in Hong Kong calls them helpers. Yeah. Yeah, actually, I I I think uh, domestic worker probably is a better term. Um, in fact, yeah. um, I I was shocked by the Hong Kong term for uh for the, yeah. for the domestic workers because they they straight up called you know called the uh, the, the filipinas who work in the uh you know work as domestic workers they call them uh Fei-yong, right mm. which is you know filipino like young is um i mean people argue with me but from from a person from mainland my understanding that the chinese word for young literally means servant right yeah. and and that's that's for me it's kind of shocking that term is even used but there are some people yeah. trying to argue with me semantically it's like oh young but also mean could be mean like guyo like employee like a, a employee mm-hmm. yeah. i'm like no dude <laughs> like i know the context in which it was used it was not used okay. at all but, you know you well they'll, they'll say it's a traditional word they'll say it's a traditional word doesn't mean what it meant but you know the terms still kind of have a gravity like for example domestic helper the helper part is what i disagree with i would like to be called i would like it to be called in the in the documents a, a domestic worker or migrant well migrant worker is a more general term but for a profession that they do, the housework, I mean, it's it's kind of a diverse housework that they do, or how do you call it? That I think that it should be called domestic worker, because helper, and that's the position of every advocacy and NGO and whatever caseworker, whatever fund, because helper sounds condescending and bad. It's just, it's quite close to servant. No, this is helping. That's, that's. Coming from yeah, Finland, I mean, it's also a shock because fin- Finland has moved a lot from these from these uh, condescending lord versus servant kind of stereotypes. It's it's actually been considered very old-fashioned and not good. For um, so for people who are not familiar with the situation in Hong Kong, uh, you know, since Hong Kong economy took off and and the development of a middle class, uh, Hong Kong started to import. Um, these domestic workers, primarily from Southeast Asia, originally was Philip from the Philippines. A lot of Philippine uh, impoverished uh, Philippine Filipina women, you know, they they came to Hong Kong and work uh, in the you know as domestic workers. Now I think there's more also more from Indonesia, right? So I think it's what maybe fifty yeah. fifty, yeah, almost fifty fifty, I think. There's also that I mean I'm I met I met the workers from India and from Sri Lanka too, uh, but Philippines and Indonesia it's, it's a little bit from Malaysia I think but not much but it's you have Indonesians and Philippines almost half to half in fact if you go you know you know that the Sunday is the normal for like ninety five percent of them the, the day off is Sunday and so they yeah. fill the streets on on a, on, a, on on Sunday so if you go to Victoria Park in Hong Kong. Uh, it would be mostly Indonesian community. If you go to Central and Ad, uh, nearby Admiralty, it would be mostly Filipino community. So they kind of divide like that. But both places are filled with people. Both places, you can see how many Filipinos and how many Indonesian women. I remember uh, you said something that's interesting. You said, you know, like 
um, like their employers, uh, you know, the, the, the household in which these uh, domestic workers work in, they're not, a lot of times they're not even necessarily like, uh, you know, upper middle class or upper class. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, some of them even, uh, like, how do you describe it? I, maybe, you know, because you, you, work, you work with them, you, you probably know the context better. This concludes the preview portion of my interview with Timba, an ethnic Karelian from Russia who had lived in Hong Kong and visited Xinjiang. In the full interview, we discussed economic disparity and class in Hong Kong, as well as Timba's experience in Xinjiang. For the access to the full episode, visit my, the, my Patreon page, Go to patreon.com, search Silk. The first result will be the Silk and Steel podcast. I hope you enjoy listening and I hope you subscribe. Thank you. Bye-bye.